You're listening to Coming of Cage, a Nicolas Cage podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Coming of Cage podcast. I am Derek. That is Ryan. Hello. Hello, Ryan. And uh, we are your Nicolas Cage movie review podcast. Welcome to episode 27 of the show. We just celebrated our one year anniversary on the last episode. And this week we are talking about the 2018 film 211. Right. Which is the proper pronunciation, not 211 or 211. Correct. Yeah. We had to watch the movie to find out for sure, but it is 211. And 211 is about a. Basically, while on a routine patrol, an aging cop, his partner and their ride-along are caught in a standoff with a band of former mercenaries robbing a bank. It's exciting mm-hmm. stuff. Exciting mm-hmm. stuff. Um, so that's that's the movie that we're talking about here. So spoiler warning for 211. Now, what we do here is Ryan has taken meticulous notes, and we're going to go through those notes and talk about the movie as we go. So, Ryan, what do you got? Yes. So the movie opens with like a scene. Uh, I don't know if you can really tell where it is at this point, but it looks like a typical like computer hacker type scene and like somebody doing a illegal wire transfer of some kind, you know, and you get a lot of like close ups of the fingers tapping the keyboard and you can clearly see they're not touching anything. And this person is just randomly like throwing their fingers around the keyboard, which is hilarious. Um, so it's in Afghanistan. I know I, this. It doesn't actually. I know it, it says it at some point, but hasn't said it at this point. That's yes. Okay. Yeah, because we get two title cards, even though there's three primary country lo- or locations. We get two title cards. You're supposed to just assume when you're in the United States, even though it yeah. wasn't filmed in the United States. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> there's like basically three sets for the entire movie. There's like a rock quarry that's designed to look like Afghanistan, apparently, and then yeah, there's like a bank Mm -hmm. and a like diner kind of but uh that's yeah we'll get more into that other stuff yeah yeah um so yeah my first note was slowest transfer ever because even though this is like a modern movie in like 2018 for some reason there's still the long status bar uh showing how the wire transfer is going and it's very very slow so I thought that, but here's here's where things get weird because this whole opening scene is is very strange. But it's not one transfer. So this dude's got a hundred million dollars that he is transferring to like tons and tons of different banks. So each bank gets like a little deposit, and so I think it's taking a long time because it's like this is one bank and then another bank and then another. But I don't accept that, but okay. she's like supposed to be typing. There's this giant transfer bar across the street and she's typing. I don't know what she's supposed to be doing while it's transferring. Yeah, While it's transferring, but she's doing her hacker stuff. Right. And uh, then my next note was she's not even hitting the keys because no. <laughs> yeah, there's this, tra- this transfer bar up and she's just like tapping all the keys. Yeah. And, and then once the transfer finishes, I don't know if you saw this, but there's like a split second where the animation like starts over again. Oh no! Where you can see the transfer start again, and oh, then it, like the next, like when it turns back, it's not there anymore. But yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. Somebody left the screensaver on too long. 
yeah so the transfer is complete and she slams down okay so one thing i'm going to say about this movie overall and maybe you'll agree with me maybe you won't uh is that everybody in this film knew they were doing a nick cage movie and they all (laughs) wanted to like either impress him or just like make the most of their opportunity because there's no one in this movie that you're probably going to recognize the name of except nick cage but everybody wanted you to know their name after this movie I and think, they were acting like that. They were yeah. acting like their hearts out. I think they thought that there was an opportunity here. Right. To break out. And maybe there was, but, uh, you know. Anyway, yeah, so she finishes the transfer. They, like, go outside from this compound in Afghanistan. And there's a gunfight happening right outside that they're all involved in. And lots of people die. There's My next note was uh, death by construction equipment. Because some guy gets like, oh, no. you know, like the dump thing, and like it's the so thing you bad lift. Or I don't know the name of it, but the thing with it's the a, big scoop on the front. It's a bulldozer. Is it a bulldozer? Okay, yeah. I guess. I, I, yeah. Anyway, the bulldozer goes forward and like chops the guy in half, basically. It's so, um, dude, dude. It's so terrible. So the they're the they're in a car, like a giant SUV, like a, it's like an Escalade or something. Yeah, and it's the slowest turn. I've ever seen into what's essentially a stationary bulldozer in the middle of yeah. this quarry. And it just well, the bulldozer into... was moving. I mean, yeah, I, I kind of. It was. It was not. Maybe it was. It wasn't shot moving poorly. fast. Maybe it yeah, was. It shot wasn't poorly. moving fast. It was bad. So everybody dies, except for uh, this this one guy who we find out later, like, is a war profiteer. I guess. Yeah um and the people that (laughs) the people that were okay yeah so my next note was the acting and this is already terrible um yes i mean it was already obvious what kind of movie we were getting into at this point i think for me i I mean yes but like i'm also like i'm trying i'm trying to like these movies right like we're sitting down we're putting in the time and i want to like these movies and this whole opening scene like screws up the entire film because these guys so there's these four mercenary dudes and they do this they kill all these people because this main dude who's the last one to be killed this war profiteer owes them a million dollars now he just transferred a hundred million dollars so a million bucks seems like not a lot of money to get killed over in this particular context but this guy's not going to tell him where the money is or whatever it's too hard to find the money because it's split up at all these different banks so the mercenaries decide just to kill the dude so yeah. casual murder, but um, now they're going to have that note until later, but it was less casual in this context. I feel like maybe there was already a huge shootout, I guess. Fair enough. But they they're not going to get the wire transfer money. They're just going to rob a bank. So the entire scene is completely worthless because they're just going to randomly rob a bank. Yeah. So like if you remove this scene from the movie, the movie doesn't change. That's true. <laughs> it's well, it does change in the sense that it gets better because I'm about to talk <laughs> a little bit about something. So I don't know if you noticed this throughout the movie or if it was just me, but the uh, post of the movie in terms of VFX, in terms of editing, um, and in terms of ADR was terrible, 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 terrible. The scene, so these like four mercenaries that were supposed to be, you know, or that did this whole thing at the beginning, mm-hmm. 
the ADR work on the what they were saying in this quarry was terrible. There was like their mouths looked were moving completely independently of whatever was being said. There were scenes where they ha- were talking, you could hear them talking, and then they would turn around for a second and their mouth wasn't even moving and turn back around. You know what I mean? Like yeah. just weird ADR moments like that. Uh, if you don't know what ADR is, ADR is like, uh, I don't know what exactly what it stands for, but it's basically a recording that the actor goes back and does to fill in their dialogue where maybe something was hard to hear or something like that. They used it quite a bit in this movie and it was all done poorly. And this was the first example of that. I, I made me wonder actually if like one of these guys has a really thick accent or something and was hard to understand and they decided that they needed to put somebody else's voice into it. I mean, it's, it's certainly it possible, like it. right? Because like this, this whole movie is really shot in Europe. It's not yeah. shot here, even though it's supposed to take place mainly in Massachusetts. And these guys are supposed to be like X. I don't know what branch they keep. Referring. They made it very clear throughout the movie, very heavy handedly, that these are ex-military guys. They're ex-military, right? But like, are they? I don't. Maybe they're Marines. Maybe they're SEALs. I don't know. But they're supposed to be like the best of the best type. Well, they do say hoorah at one point. Do all the all the different oh, branches say that? I mean, I'm certainly no expert, but that from a cliche movie standpoint, tends to be more of a Marine thing, right? Okay. I, yeah, maybe I, I think so. I thought Marines was Semper Fi, but well, that's I don't know. that's fair. No, 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 you're right. You're right. I don't know enough about the military. I'm not trying to offend anybody. No. I don't. I just don't know. But yes, they make it so. They are so heavy-handed with the fact that these guys are ex-military. It's unbelievable. Like we had the we had that figured out pretty early on. You don't need to keep going over that. Uh, but anyway, then I, after this whole scene, we see a woman walking through some streets. I don't remember if this was in Massachusetts or Afghanistan. No, n- neither. So this is in the the one other location, which is Kabul. Okay, Kabul, and she's wearing a red scarf. And so at this point, I said she must be the romantic lead. Turns out I was wrong. There is actually no romantic lead in this movie, except for, you know, Nick Cage, me loving him. That was about it. Um, but that's yeah. in all of these movies. That's true. I, I just assumed because she was young and she had she was like one of two women in the entire movie. Um, there were three. Three, my bad. Yeah, and two of them died. But, you know... We're not going to get into that. Yeah, the one in the in the beginning scene that was doing the transfer died. Oh, yeah, she died. And then yeah. the one, the cop maybe Do you think died the cop died? died? We don't know. Oh, Spoiler I guess there warning. is a daughter, too. There's the daughter. There's also, there's the waitress. Oh, yeah, then... but she basically dies. I mean, she's she's the one survivor. Heavily traumatized. Yeah. There's the woman in the bank who had the bomb slipped into her jacket. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, we're kind of skipping ahead, but yeah, the this lady's like walking around in Kabul and she gets picked up by some military force. Uh, it's, it's Interpol. Yeah, oh yeah, Interpol cuz yeah. she works Well, see, I th- I got the I got the vibe that it was the CIA picking her up and that she worked for Interpol. That may or be. Like it's that. not clear. Know. It's not yeah, it's, clear. It's silly. It's somebody in military uniforms. They interrupt. She's about, apparently, she's about to catch, like, one of the world's greatest art thieves or something like that, she says. Right. And, and they interrupt her right in the middle of the, the most awkward, obvious handoff in movie history. It was pretty bad, yeah. <laughs> it's not, not a well-trained uh, branch of government, according to this movie. No. Um. Okay, so at this point, well, really early on in the movie, I started to notice this, but it started to get more and more obvious as the movie went on that anytime anybody was wearing a uniform in this movie, 
that these were like Amazon uniforms that they just purchased and didn't bother to do anything to make them look like they'd ever been worn before. So every uniform uh, in this movie looks basically completely brand new. Even when they're in the middle of Afghanistan, you know, doing military stuff, all the uniforms were like shiny. You could almost see the seam, like, you know, the fold lines from where they, you know, it, I mean, it was normally wouldn't bother me that much, but, you know, you don't really think about it until you see something that doesn't seem to fit at all the situation because it stands out so so much in a bad way. And every single uniform was like that in this movie, from the people in Afghanistan to the cops to uh, all the military people had like brand new, never, never been dirty shirts. And you can say that the military keeps their clothes clean. Yes, but you also there's like wear you would notice like on seams and stuff, things clothes just wear down. You know, even if you keep them clean, you just like things feel more. They they can move more. They're more broken in whatever. In this case, they are not. They look very stiff and like brand new out of the packaging, and that bothered me. They needed to hire a wardrobe person that, you know, or let the wardrobe person do their job. They probably tried to do that. They're like, no, we don't have the budget for that, or something. I don't know. I don't know what the budget was on this, but my guess is like seventeen dollars. It only made a million. Yeah, I believe that. I'm surprised it even made that much. Um, so anyway, after this pickup happens with this woman, you, she's kind of the link between the Afghanistan thing and what happens in small town Minneapolis, uh, or Massachusetts, I mean. Uh, I, I don't really know. It seemed like they had grander plans that maybe changed in editing, because 90% of the movie is just the bank heist just like this beginning scene you could remove her character from the movie completely also the movie doesn't change she does nothing except until the very end but even then it's that even then it's she doesn't really do anything like she's there at the end but anybody could have filled in that spot it could have been one of the other cops that we've at least you know been like are on the scene doing something like there's just no reason for her character to exist yeah like she's there to keep reminding the audience how dangerous these four guys are. And it's like, they're convinced we don't believe the movie. So they're going to keep having her repeat that over and over again to different people. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, my next note is Nick Cage aviators. Cause we get a shot of yeah. him as a cop and he's wearing some pretty nice aviators throughout the movie that I'm a fan of. Um, then we get I, my next note is casual homophobia slash racism. I can't remember. Oh, I do remember. Okay, so the kid, this kid, because you know it can't be a Nick Cage movie that if he doesn't have a young person in the movie that he's friends with, right? Like a kid. <laughs> that is a common um, thread. It's gonna be on our bingo cards at some point. It'll get rotated in. Um, but yes, there, he has a little kid in this movie that he befriends. But at this point, he hasn't done that yet it's kind of the introduction to this kid and you see him in a bathroom, like doing a live stream talking about something that you never really figure out what he's talking about. And then three, he's, it's a young black man or black kid and three um, white boys come in and call him the F word in regards to like a, uh, like a homophobic slur uh, and I put racism on there also because it seemed questionable that it was three white kids doing this to a black kid. 
um you know but e- either way we got a little bit of anyway they, they both they picked the kid up and they're like slamming it or trying to slam his head into the toilet and like put it in the water and everything you know the old like bullying trope and that's like over the top teenage bullies and he's screaming help 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 and like just like another just terrible like cliche here is of course the the teacher who finally hears the calls for help comes in right as the kid finally defends himself and just the cold knocks this guy out which was really probably one of the best parts of the movie right there um (laughs) but i think i think they were setting up racism to be a red herring here because they were trying to hide like what happens later in the movie that doesn't end up really having any real payoff anyway. But I think we're supposed to believe it's racism. Well, there's another scene that that is like casual racism um, that we'll get to. But yeah. Um, yeah. So that whole scene happens. And yeah, of course, he's getting blamed. Um, and then it cuts to like... Uh, this the meeting with the principal and the principal's like well we got to do a ride along with the cops which i guess is that a is that a thing i've never I mean, heard of that in my life probably i'm sure it's a program somewhere but but like um, i would it, like, this looks like he's at like a very nice high-end school like maybe even a private school i would imagine a ride-along would be for a school that maybe isn't doing so well that might have budget problems or might be in a lower economic area or something like that like it just doesn't it didn't seem to fit it's possible i don't know it didn't that didn't stand out to me that poorly or that you know as a major like poor point of the movie or something i don't know Fair enough. it was fine i'm sure it's a program somewhere you know kids do ride-alongs across the country i don't know if it's at you know low-end schools or high-end schools or whatever but um yeah so the kid or the mom agrees to do a ride-along or to like have the kid do a ride along with a cop. And then it cuts to the scene where we have no idea who these people are, except that there's a really badly photoshopped picture of Nick Cage that it kind of briefly scrolls over with uh, one of the people that's in this scene. And yeah. through kind of visual context clues and like, or context, visual clues and context clues based on the conversation, you figure out that this scene is featuring uh, his daughter. And his son-in-law, who he's apparently partners with, which is really weird, and I don't think that would be allowed. I would um, think that would be like a conflict of interest, concern type thing. Right? Yeah, and it, I mean, it comes up later in the movie. Like you would think that that would be something they'd want to avoid. You would think, yeah. But they uh, basically it shows like a pregnancy test of this woman, and she's pregnant, but you have no idea who she really is at this point. So <laughs> it's just kind of there's no context other than that one picture um and she shares it with her husband and at this point i was like well this guy's gonna die <laughs> like they wouldn't they wouldn't be setting this up if this guy was gonna live you jumped you jumped farther ahead than me i didn't have that thought yet really oh come on man that's I, this is 101 intro to movie making well i didn't know yet whether like like where nick played into this or like how this was really gonna work out yet i was expecting nick to die well we had to have the sympathetic so. I thought it was either going to be this guy dying or Nick Cage like sacrificing himself to save this kid so that his right yeah. his unborn grandchild has a father. I could have seen it going either way, but yeah, they're not going to kill. Well, I shouldn't say they're not going to kill Nick Cage because they do it in basically every movie. They're not going to kill both of these guys. That's right. The, yeah. So then we get the scene with the woman from Interpol again. 
uh, going into Duncan's Gun Shop, which is written right outside so that you know exactly, as if going inside and seeing, like, automatic weapons all over the wall of a place and a guy just, you know, being hugely misogynistic isn't enough for you to, to oh, understand man. this is a gun shop. Um, that, was, that was bad. Yeah, they had it plastered outside. That's the most creative name Duncan could come up with. And then this guy says he's the owner, but he says his name is something totally different. So I don't really, maybe, maybe his dad is Duncan and he like inherited it. I don't know. I don't really want to get into the lore for maybe Duncan's gunshot. His middle name is Duncan. Could be. You know. And then there's this really weird exchange between like the Interpol lady and, and not Duncan at Duncan's gunshot where like they, it kind of come, comes across like they're flirting like it's supposed to like have some weird like sexual undertones or, but it's really mostly just the guy being a huge jerk and then her trying to prove that she's in control of the situation i don't I mean, really know what they were going for with that scene it was very weird that's her whole character is trying to look like she's in control of the situation in every scene yeah. that's what she's trying to do i think she's like she wanted to smooth talk this guy to get information and he's thinks you know he's being like you said extremely misogynistic right but he still wants to make a sale yeah you know just you know and she's just trying to squeeze him for information about one of the guys that did that big thing in afghanistan right i mean it was not not a deep scene but they really had to have that misogyny in the movie so you know did we skip over though where we find out the relationship between nick and his daughter in this movie was that in that first scene or was that later I thought that was. I think. Enough. I think. I. I mean, there might have been a little, but I know there's like the scene where he's like the the son-in-law is like, you should really call her. No, before like, like implying that they're not really, they don't really talk much. So I'm pretty sure this is that first scene. We we learn that her mother died, Nick's uh, wife, and she had cancer, and she like wasted away, and he apparently wasn't there for her in any meaningful way. And so he and his daughter now are like, not estranged necessarily, but certainly strained. Yeah. Um. So at this point, we find out that yes, the son or the the son-in-law is his partner. And then they make it a big point. Oh, it's like it's like a Murtaugh lethal weapon situation <laughs> where he's like, "I'm too old for this shit. I'm gonna be retiring in seven days or something like that." But which doesn't have any payoff really like there's no retiring ceremony at the end of the movie or anything like that but um you know he, we'll they, get to the end of the movie they make it they make it a point to show that or like talk about his retiring and make it jokes about how old he is like weird weirdly ageist jokes um from the other cops yeah um mm -hmm. So then my next note is that cops, wherever this is in, in Minnesota or wherever it is, Massachusetts, Massachusetts, they get paid a crap ton of money. Did you see the houses they were living in? They had like the I most gorgeous, like Victorian houses. They were huge. Lots of rooms. I mean, just really big. You get to kind of see one when Nick Cage goes and picks up his son-in-law in the cruiser. To be fair, though, we don't know what the ladies do in these relationships like we well, all know the what ladies the wife don't did. do anything meaningful in this well one movie. of them's dead so that's yeah. not fair but... that's true but i <laughs> mean as, women might as well not exist in this movie except to like bring up the male characters and give them like yeah. some sort of emotional connection yeah other than the one woman cop 
yeah but even she is like the doubt they talk shit about her the whole time like don't shoot me in the ass with that thing and like no no no. she says that oh does she say that because her her partner is a rookie oh so she's giving her partner a really hard time throughout the movie yeah so she's you know she's kind of playing like the tough the tough hot shot you know officer training the newbie kind of even though she looks like she's 17 years old Man, most of the people looked really young. Maybe, yeah. maybe we're just old now. Well, that maybe could that's, be it too. That's that could be it. Um, <laughs> so then we get a scene where uh, we get one of the guys that's with this uh, mercenary group at a, either a diner or a coffee shop or something along those lines. Like, I mean, I, I could have been either one. Um, but my next note was that this dude looks like a John Bernthal knockoff. Like they really wanted John Bernthal for the role. And then they were like, well, we can't really afford John Bernthal. So we're just going to find somebody that kind of looks like him. So do you, I can't remember which guy was which, but one of them is Nick's son in real life. Oh, really? Yeah. Weston Cage. Um, I'm not sure. No, it wasn't that guy. He's not that guy. He's the other guy. Okay. Uh, So it's really hard to keep all these. They introduce so many freaking characters in this movie that have so little like dialogue time that it's very hard to keep track of whose name is who, but yeah, his son plays the character Luke. That's interesting. Yeah. I didn't realize that was his son. Yeah. Yeah. You get some screen time, but not a lot. Um, so then we get a scene of like the cops heading into the police station. And this is the second bout of casual racism that happens. Also the ageism, uh, they like one of the other cops sees Nick cage and his partner getting out of the, car and he said they say something to the partner like oh, i didn't know it was great bring your grandpa to work day or something like that and then uh even though clearly they've all like worked together for a long time and yeah and exactly <laughs> that's why this is like it's super weird and then Nick cage is like cool it man i am about to be a grandpa and, and my daughter finally got pregnant or like he's like yeah he finally got my daughter it was a really yeah. awkward way to say super awkward that i'm gonna have a grandkid and then there's like some other banter and he says something like, well, it's better that he is my, you know, my uh, grandparents or my grandson's dad than you. Yeah, and the guy yeah. goes, why is this? Cause I'm black. And it goes, no, well actually, yes. It's such a weird exchange. Cause yeah, there's like, there's one police officer of note in this movie who is black. Yeah. Uh, he plays. Uh, and, and it's, it's, it's a weird scene because it's shot from like far away. They cut far away. The audio is a little bit low. So like, I wasn't even sure necessarily that I heard it right. So I'm glad you heard what I heard. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And it cuts like immediately after the yes thing, like they almost wanted to cut that out, but you know, they just didn't. And Mm -hmm. maybe this is the prop guy in me, but tell me if you noticed this Mm -hmm. on these brand new, like spotless police uniforms. Did you notice the badges? Oh, thank God. Yeah. They looked like they're from a science fiction film. Like a, I, I put in here, are these badges stolen from RoboCop? <laughs> because they look like they're tw- like what somebody in 2018 thinks a badge in 2050 is going to look like for a police force. Dude, the first time I saw them, I thought they were stickers. They were ridiculous. They were like, like very chrome and very. just like if you picture like in your head what a police badge in the future would look like this is basically what it looked like it was super weird and mm-hmm. stood out this is like a small town police force and yeah maybe that's what badges look like over in europe i don't know they, they shot thing, this i, I feel know. like they went to a prop house and we're like what what police badges do you have 
Like just and, these from this dystopian futuristic right, film. from Blade we'll Runner. Them. Yeah, these are we have these Blade Runner police matches. Are these good? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So but the cop then, cars are all kind of old. That's true. So then the, the inside the police station, uh, they go to pick up their ride along, Nick right. Cage and his partner. And this guy is being a huge dick to this kid, the the partner, yeah. not Nick Cage's character, Steve. Yeah, he goes up to him, he calls him, like, says something like, don't act out, little man, or something like that. This kid is taller than he is. Well, because, like, the kid's, like, smirking a little bit. Because, like, the kid's not really taking this very seriously because he's not a fighter. He's not a troublemaker. He was really just defending himself, right? And here he is, like, everyone's telling him that, you know, be careful, stay on the right side of the tracks and all this other bullshit, right? Yeah. And, yeah, Steve is just a, a huge jerk. And, like, you know, we, we barely know the guy, but he's already kind of, like, a douche. Right. And he, yeah, he calls him little man, even though this guy is this, you know, Steve is not the t- not a tall man. And at this point, this in the kid movie, is taller than him. At this point in the movie, did you think Nick was like the lead? Yeah. Okay. Because I really didn't feel like he was the lead until the final act. I mean, I think they were establishing characters. They were, the, you know, in order for you to care about anything that happens in the end, you ha- they have to establish characters in the beginning. So I feel like that's what they were doing. And maybe they were a little bit, you know, they drew it out a little bit too much. But yeah, I mean, he's the main, it's Nick Cage. I mean, he's going to be the main character no matter what. That's not true. But, you know, he's going to feel like the main character for me. <laughs> for you. Um, so... I don't remember the context of this. I think that maybe this was like right after the diner. So basically when that guy's at the diner, he puts a bomb underneath the table Mm -hmm. uh, just to set off later as a distraction. So when they're robbing the bank, they can uh, distract the police with the bomb if they need to. Um, And I think this might've been after the, the bomb went off. Uh, Nick is making a, like a call on the radio and he says he's got a rider and no cage in the car. And I no, thought that was really funny. Oh, that's funny. No, that's much earlier. Okay. That's when they're at the gas station and they're busting the... Oh, that's what, right. What appears to be a homeless person. Yeah. For uh, stealing cigarettes. Yeah, he says, we've got a riot. Can we send another car? Because we've got a rider and no cage. Yeah. And I was like, uh... Oh, we got a cage. They have a cage, There's for sure. Cage. Um, and then my next note is Nick Cage befriends a kid, which, you know, whenever I see an obvious use of something that could be on our bingo card, I always try and put it in there. And that was one. Well, then this is where it all comes out, like that who the kid is and what happened. And Nick's like, huh, I would have done the same thing. Yeah. You know, which was a, ni- a nice little moment. But there keeps being this thread of Kenny. Kenny is the kid using his phone too much and that the cops are being recorded too much and that's getting annoying. So there's, it's like they were going to touch on something kind of like relevant in like modern. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I thought that was where they were headed with it because they had, first of all, police officers Mm -hmm. with a black kid. Mm -hmm. Okay. Which is right there. You're touching on, well, police officers alone is a touchy subject right now. Then Mm -hmm. you add in a, a, a black kid and that's a whole nother thing. Um, and then, yeah, this video recordings of cops, you know, and mm-hmm. things like that with the body cam discussions that happen in real life and things like that. Yeah, I thought there was going to be something more meaningful. No, they no. just wanted to set up that this kid live streams so that they could set up something later. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, it's fucking stupid. Uh, <laughs> so then at some point, somebody says "stay frosty" because I have that in quotes, and I just always think that's funny to hear because it's such a cliche line. Yeah, I, I can't remember who it. says it. I feel like it's got to be the partner, maybe. I don't know. I, I kind of feel like it was the uh, the military guys, the mercenaries. Oh yeah, yeah, it had to be them. Yeah, that makes way more sense because they're always frosty. Mercenaries always frosty. are. Oh. Yeah, Unless like, like a nice root beer. It's like a nice root beer, then they're frosty. Um, so okay, so yeah, there's okay. This guy basically, they are getting like donuts or something, coffee. and well, but but one of the guys says the cops are making a donut stop. Well, yeah, they're just being dicks, sure. But I'm saying, (laughs) but I, I couldn't tell if it was a donut shop or a coffee shop. Sorry, Derek. Anyway, they're getting something. And across the way, they see this Cadillac Escalade that's well, so very suspicious. You got to kind of paint the picture, right? So the way this little part of town is set up is you've got this main road that runs, let's pretend it's east to west, right? But then on the south of that is basically like a U parking lot that ends yeah. with the bank to the south. And right. these guys are already in the bank. So their big plan is one guy is going to stay in the car out front. The other three are going to run inside and steal all the cash from the vault. It's supposed to take five minutes and they're out. Right. But unfortunately, right, while the guys are inside during that little five-minute window, our Nick Cage and his friends pull up to this coffee shop that's at that horizontal road just across from the bank. And basically the entirety of the movie at this point takes place here. Yep. So they didn't have to spend a lot of budget on set changes because that's basically where we are now. Um, so yeah, they, uh, they are like, they see this Cadillac Escalade parked in front of the bank and they're like, oh, we got a Cadillac Escalade over here. That's, uh, illegally parked. Uh, going to go check it out. And so they start to pull up and look at this Escalade. And then the, the guys inside the mercenaries, they see one of them is in the car and mm-hmm. reports that there's this cop and he's coming up there. And so they're like, uh, okay, well, they're not stopping, so we need a distraction. So the guy hits the thing and blows up the coffee shop. Mm-hmm. And Which, by the way, the waitress, the waitress that he overtips earlier in the movie, she happens to step out for a smoke break. Smoke break, right at this time, yeah. Very right convenient. at that very moment. Which, for but, some reason, is never suspicious to any of the authorities, by the way. In any case, they, uh, yeah, she, she, the coffee shop gets blown up real good. And then uh, they, they pay, you hear on the radio in the police car that all officers respond to this explosion, everyone. Uh, And Nick Nick Cage's character, or he comes on and says something like, uh, actually, I don't even think he responds to it. I think he just tells his partner, well, we're not going to go. We got the ride along, you know, Mm -hmm. we're we're not going to go. Now, supposedly, I have not been able to confirm this, but supposedly that explosion scene is is straight up stolen, lifted. Stolen's not fair. I'm sure they had permission to do it, but it's straight up taken from another movie from 2015 called Survivor. So that's we can't confirm that. Can't, so. I haven't I haven't confirmed that yet. But wouldn't that be weird? I've it never weird. I've never known that to be a thing. So who knows? Right, kind of strange. Uh, so, uh, they the the guys the uh, guy and the mercenary and the and the Escalade notices that these cops aren't leaving and that they're 
they're still there and they're still investigating the car. They're calling in the license plate or whatever. And so he gets out and just starts shooting everything up. He has a submachine gun and he's just like shooting everywhere. And uh, so, yeah, Nick Cage and his partner to get in the car and they're getting shot at. So they back up they're like speeding through this uh, business park, you know, just kind of trying to get out of there. And they just slam into this other car which is on our bingo card, Nick Cage wrecks a car. Um, and so Nick Cage gets out of the car and the kid gets out of the car and they're hiding behind the car. And the dude, the partner dude is like, my seatbelt's stuck. And so for like the next five minutes, he's trying to get his seatbelt unstuck. <laughs> right. And so I had dude's seatbelt sucks in the next note. And then once he gets the seatbelt, he finally, after like five minutes, decides to pull out a knife and cut the seatbelt. Right, which cop cars should be equipped with those things that break the the windows and cut the seatbelts. Anyway, you, you but you would think so. Anyway, so he gets the seatbelt cut. Then the door is stuck. So now he can't get the door open. <laughs> yeah. And so then I had casual murder next, which I don't remember exactly. I think the guy just oh, starts shooting at people. Civilians. Just, yeah. yeah like, there's like a civilian like, just walking across the street and he just like guns her down. Yeah. Yeah. There's like a construction worker type person that he just randomly kills. The dude's got the best aim unless he's shooting at Nick, by the way. Yeah. Unless anybody's shooting at Nick, it's, yeah. you know, yeah. Uh, but yeah, the partner gets shot in the leg. Uh, and so they're, they're like, trying to figure out how to handle this and nick nick is telling this kid to like put pressure on the wound and everything and eventually they tie a tourniquet on the leg mm -hmm. which i mean i so i guess it hit an artery but if it hit an artery this guy lived for a really long time i generally I, a tourniquet yeah. is a last resort like you do yeah. that that means you're probably going to lose whatever limb is tourniqueted it's basically pinching off the artery so that uh their blood stops flowing out. there yeah yeah and eventually the the limb will die given enough time and so it's that's bad why tourniquet news. is bad always news. the last result yeah. yeah but he has this tourniquet on his leg for the entire rest of the film which is like i'm gonna go out on a limb and say like six hours yeah it goes from midday till dark at night you know so before he gets to a hospital four yeah. to six hours so then it goes back to the diner or the coffee shop or whatever and apparently the swat team is there mm -hmm. despite the fact that they've called in this bank robbery every other cop in the world is at this other place and they have this one swat guy that's just aggressively chewing his gum the whole time Aggr like no not like that very <laughs> aggressively like if you were gonna do it to intimidate somebody that's what he was doing like that gum owed him money i mean it was and he does this through the whole movie but it's just another example of what i talked about early on where I think most of the people in this movie were really trying to stand out and have yeah. something be interesting about their character so that whoever watched it was like, oh, did you see that new Nick Cage movie? Oh, did you see that guy that was chewing gum so badass like, you know? But like the um, scene, again, like means nothing. Yeah. The scene furthers the movie in no way, except that it drags the Interpol lady along more in the story. But again, she doesn't do anything. Right. She's just like trying to get information about what's going on, and she overhears, I think, the stuff at the bank, and it makes her go, "Ah, oh, maybe that's the people." I don't know. Uh, so Nick Cage throughout this whole thing is just unloading at these people. Yeah, so he's got a lot of bullets for that handgun. There's four mercenaries, right? Mm -hmm. And 
throughout 90% of the movie, there's probably a thousand bullets shot at him. <laughs> and only one of them gets hit right up till the end of the movie. But, you know, only one of them gets hit. And that's the guy that's out in the Escalade. But Nick Cage has a pistol. That's the only gun he's got. Mm-hmm. And he's just unloading. And it makes me question how many bullets we let police have in their car. Because there's no way he kept that many on his belt. So I'm assuming, you know, maybe they keep two or three magazines in there or clips or whatever the proper terminology is uh, in on their belt. Right? I can see that. But he unloaded many many times even, even if he took steve's right then we're like yeah. he's got six yeah yeah he went way through, through way more than that yeah unbelievable amount of bullets but also like but you know the bad guys are also going through a ton they of bullets, are and, and they have automatic not, weapons they have automatic weapons and like i know they brought a lot of gear but you never really see them go to those bags or anything like that they just magically keep having bullets they're and also man we haven't talked much about the mercenaries. They're so one-dimensional. Mm-hmm. Very. They, they're just these boring guys who got ripped off by another bad dude. And rather than go after bad dudes, they're just going to steal money and hurt all these innocent people. Like I remember at one point, the security guard, he's been face down like the whole time. They want to just shoots him in the back twice. Nothing happened. Yeah. No reason. He just does it. You know, like yeah. they're just jerks to be jerks. They're ripping off a bank because somebody else hurt them. Like it's just, there's nothing to care about with these people. They seemingly have no connection to the world whatsoever. That's true. They're proper mercenaries, right? Like there's no family. There's no, you know, significant others, nothing. There's nothing to make you feel sorry for these people or like identify with what they're trying to do at all. There is one, one of the guys does keep getting these looks that like, maybe he's going to feel some regret and, turn on the others or something but it ne- never happens it never comes right. out it's again another thing where it's just somebody overacting yeah maybe um yeah. so i uh, we do have to go back for a second for this next note to be relevant when nick cage is talking to the kid and befriends him earlier in the movie mm-hmm. uh the kid had been recording the whole stop with the homeless man where nick right. cage says we've got a rider in no cage he had been recording that on his phone so when nick gets back into the car he says to the kid I'm getting rec- sick of getting recorded all the time. Give me your phone. And the kid's like, no, you can't have my phone. And Nick is like, give me your phone. And you can have it back at the end of the day. And so he takes it and he like puts it away somewhere in the front. It's the glove box. Right. Yeah. And so fast forward to where we were just talking about the guy's been shot. He's bleeding out. This kid is like holding this thing on his leg. And the guy's like, get, get out your phone. I need to record a message. And so the kid pulls his phone out of his pocket, which apparently he got back at some point. So, so he did get it back because did I he? thought I thought you were going to talk about the ridiculousness of him getting the phone back because it's pretty bad. So, what when they finally I must have missed it? Yeah. So when Steve finally gets his door open, he is, is like pulling Kenny out of the car through the front of the car because Kenny was stuck in the car because the the backs of those cop cars you can't open from the inside. Right. Right. And so that's the door that's jammed. They didn't want to like back, like sidetrack us, but that was the door that was jammed was Nick couldn't get Kenny out of the car. So Steve has to pull Kenny out of the car. And as Steve, who's bleeding out, by the way, and trying to avoid gunfire, because that's the side of the car that they're on is where the mercenary is. He's pulling Kenny out of the car. Kenny like pulls back to open the glove box to get his phone out. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know how I missed that, but it was, both it was me blatant. and my girlfriend were yeah. like, when did he get his phone back? So uh, that was when, because I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, really, man? 
come on. Like, so, yeah, so this kid, he, re- okay, so maybe you noticed this too. So he, it shows he, when he's recording, he's recording this guy's like saying his final goodbye to his wife and his unborn kid or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it does two perspectives one from like showing the side of the kid who are recording and the cop. And then mm-hmm. from the other one is like the video on the camera. Right. And so, like when he's when he's filming the from the outside the guy is like pale like like he's been bleeding out like he's on the verge of death and then when it switches to the camera he's like bright full of life he looks like i do right now like you know the the contrast is you know nice and his skin tones are all good so this kid has a lot of snapchat filters or something going on it's those sony phones man i guess but uh, yeah, I just thought that was super funny that, uh, and this message is so cheesy and overacted. The guy is like, this is my one chance to make a, make an impression on somebody. And so he goes through and he just, yeah, the whole message was so cliche and overacted. It was something. Now, what is important here is that Kenny's battery is dying. Yes. 8%. This is important because one of the most ridiculous things in movie history happens later. <laughs> right. So. At this point, after he records the message, the, the the officer goes like to the kid. He's like, "Listen, listen!" And he like grabs the kid, and he's like, uh, "So my next note was, why is he molesting this kid? Because he literally like pulls the kid over to him, and he's like holding him against his breast." I thought he was gonna say something, and then he doesn't say anything. He <laughs> says, "Listen," and then doesn't say anything to the kid. Super weird. Yeah. Um, and then I, my next note is the that this is the most inept police force ever because at this oh point God. like 10 more cars have shown up and they all other than Nick Cage and his partner have automatic weapons and they're all just un- there's literally two of these mercenaries hang out by the front window of the bank the whole time which has like shutters or blinds or something right but there's front. nothing like no real nothing protective yeah. yeah and they keep peeking out to shoot at the cops and for some reason the cops can't hit anything but Nothing. these guys take out many cops several through through like win- car windows and you know, like they like these right. guys are like now look i get it interpol lady has told us throughout the movie that you don't understand these guys ryan these are the best in the world you can't imagine anybody How as good deadly these, as yeah. these four guys right right more deadly than 20 cops with automatic weapons basically but yeah so at some point two of these cops decide to go and rescue kenny uh, kenny and the kid no this is before that they're going to get steve because he's bleeding out yeah right they're going to go help nick cage's character get uh the partner out and so they get up there and you know there's a bunch of gunfire and everything and blah 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 and one of them dies. It's actually like three people, I think, or four people. A lot of and only two, two of them only, only two of them end up coming back. But uh, they do bring Nick Cage back and his partner. And then Nick Cage just comes and gets back. He's like, Where's Kenny? And apparently they left Kenny. Well, so again, behind. he drops his phone. Yes. And so he turns back to pick up the phone while the guy's shooting and he panics. And so he jumps into the back of this old. I think it was like a Jeep Cherokee SUV type thing, I think. Yeah. And so at this point, you see that he's like trying to call his mom. But his phone's dead. And so you get a brief scene where you see him pull a nine volt battery out of a toy. And then it ends. And that's it. Oh, no, no. He he pulls a nine volt battery out of a toy and then like part like a USB or something. 
So the car has no, a USB no. charger, but the car is not on, so it won't work, right? Because he tries to plug it in, nothing happens, of course. Yeah. But then, yeah, he's like his he's laying in the back of the car where that happens to have a doll that takes a nine volt battery. Right, but he doesn't do any like all it does is show the battery yeah. and the nothing, and then like three scenes later it shows something else. But yeah, um, so the they transport the partner to the hospital, mm-hmm. um, and the daughter nick cage's daughter shows up at the hospital as they're doing surgery on the guy but in this particular hospital apparently the surgery center is literally with an open door across from reception so as soon well, as well this... i this is the emergency room that's not like a normal surgery suite you know sure but they wouldn't have a door open and they wouldn't be doing it literally like i i eyesight line from uh the reception table I, I would imagine not normally but like a lot of people have been shot and blown up and stuff i would imagine okay, just at this point at this point like i don't i refuse to believe that there's like less than 20 people hurt well now, yeah, i sure. think inundated is ridiculous a ridiculous term to use they had maybe like eight people at the diner or the coffee shop or whatever and then sure some cops are falling but at this point not all of the ones that we see shot in the movie have happened at this point. We've only seen like maybe four cops go down at this point. Well, I mean, we, the, the so woman cop is there. I mean, it's a small town, right? And they've already, they've got like a, at least a dozen explosion and gunshot victims that all came in at the same time. I mean, that, that's probably not something yeah, but they're not, preparing they're for. They're not so over, over like worked that they would just pick a random room across from, in the emergency room across from where people walk in to use as a surgery center and then just leave the door open. I, I guess I, that part didn't bother me. Of oh, all the that, things. That really bothered me because it's like, <laughs> what, what world would this ever happen this way? Um, but yeah, so that, that was my next note. But then we go back to Kenny in the car. And it shows this little uh, Tony Stark device that he's made. <laughs> MacGyver. With a, with a uh, he used like a key uh-huh. and something else the, to the car charger. This nine volt battery. Yeah. To charge his phone. Uh-huh. So apparently Obadiah Stane would have been jealous of this kid that built this in this car with a box of scraps. Because he 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 basically made an arc reactor in the back of a Chevy Tahoe <laughs> with a toy, a nine volt battery out of a toy, and whatever. a car charger. Yeah, yes, yeah, so it was. Uh, mm-hmm. Talk about the thing that you had to suspend disbelief the most for in this movie. Apparently, this kid is like a genius beyond his years because. Well, so- and that's the flip. That's where it's supposed to be the aha moment of oh, that's what makes him different. It's is not because it? it's not because he's black. It's because he's a nerd. Oh, okay, yeah, I guess he's a nerd. <laughs> and so we go from that scene, and it's bright day out still at that point. And then the next scene is dark night, like really dark, not like evening where the sun is going down. It's just dark now. So it's halftime. No, Everyone seemingly. Yeah, seemingly no, nothing happened for like four hours while the sun went down. The mercenaries fed the hostages for some reason. Yeah. I yeah. don't know why they did that or why they brought enough food to do that. I don't know what that was about, but. So this movie had not a lot of caginess, but I think that there was one scene where I would debate it, and I don't even think it would need to be a debate. And it's not even really caginess. He just really like 
he got one scene where he got to actually convey something, mm-hmm. you know, like give a give something, and he really made the most of that scene. Mm-hmm. And he, basically, he's giving a recap of everything that's happened to the SWAT team guys that have now shown up. They've been gone all day at that explosion, even with all these cops getting killed, but now they've shown up to this bank robbery, and he's recapping the day to these SWAT guys, and he talks about like his partner that went down and just. There's a lot of emotion conveyed in this one scene, and then it's back to bad movie. But you know, we find we like to find the uh, hidden gems within some of these bad movies, and I feel like that scene was a hidden gem in this movie. I mean, he's great in that scene. Yeah. It's an extremely powerful scene. It's but then you got the guy aggressively chewing gum still in that scene that kind of takes you he's out of it. So worthless in this freaking movie. And like on top of you know, Nick's like, you know, what took you so long? What took you so long? And the guy's got no real answer to it at all. You know, yeah. and he's like, What took you so long? Like people are like dropping out here. And it's it's a very emotional, very powerful scene. And I I I kind of knew where it was headed. It didn't go exactly at the same level of intensity right. that I thought it was going to. But yeah, that that's the best moment in the movie. For sure. But as, after he's done his recap, the woman shows up. Interpol lady. Interpol lady. And then, of course, you have more misogyny of the like police captain who's like, I got the president breathing down my neck and we got to wrap this thing up. Who's this woman that's in here? She can't do anything because she's a woman. She's got a vagina. We can't have her in here. Get her out of here. And like it's almost word for word that I'm serious. Wasn't it that bad? Like it was bad. The problem is though, she is worthless in this movie. She doesn't she provide is. anything. But so that doesn't mean words, you need to be misogynistic. No, I completely agree with you. The dude is totally out of line, completely out of line. But like at the same time, she isn't necessary. She's not providing anything. It even if she provided something, she already did that at the site of the explosion when she told the SWAT guys there what she already knew. Yeah. Right? Now, yeah, she hands over this little thing she finds in the warehouse about the C4 that they used or whatever. Like, okay, but we know that there was a bomb already. Right. Right? That came too late. You know, so, like, again, like, she's just not there to serve a purpose. If you remove her, nothing changes in this movie. Yeah, that's accurate. Uh, So, one thing that maybe, I don't know how, how much you noticed of it, but this was directed by a person named York, York Alec Shackleton. And one thing that York gets a huge boner over is gun loading sequences. Because there's like 30 gun loading sequences in this movie. And by that I mean like people loading bullets into magazines. And then people like loading the magazines into the gun and cocking mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Or like, you know, like lots of mechanical gun sounding noises. And there's multiple scenes of that in this movie where... You don't need that many, right? Like, we know right. that people are loading guns. You don't need to be that dramatic about it. Half the guns are already cocked, and they're cocking them anyway just to make a noise. Like, it, it, that started to bother me at this point, because we'd had, like, four or five of those scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, oh, okay, so then we get... So earlier in the movie, there's this scene with the bank manager and his wife at his at, house. Yeah, and at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, yeah very early on. And uh, it's seemingly very out of place at this point. You don't know who this guy is, really. And he's talking about his wife, about how he's looking forward to the anniversary dinner and blah, blah, blah. And again, instantly, I'm like, whoever this guy is, is going to die. Because <laughs> they're setting up a future for him, so he's going to be dead. 
So at this point in the movie, when we fast forward to where we were just talking about, he like the guys are being mean. the The mercenaries are being mean to somebody in in the room where they have all the hostages. And this bank manager guy just stands up, and he's like, "Don't do that!" And the guy points a gun at his forehead, and and, and he's like, "Okay, go ahead, shoot me now, shoot me now!" And the guy just goes and kills him. It was the most pointless thing ever. Totally unceremonious. Yeah. There's no follow-up. We never see his wife or her reaction to learning about this or anything like that. And to yeah, to your point, like he's the only one of the hostages who got a backstory. Right. Nobody else got a backstory. Yeah, but exactly. There's just no payoff for it though. The dude just gets no. randomly shot. He just ca- gets capped with no like you know drama. He asks to be shot, and the guy just pops him in the head. It's he's already shot and killed people in front of this guy. What yeah. made him think that that it's wasn't that's... going to happen? It's not that surprising at this point, right? Like it's just oh god. So then we get more aggressive gum chewing when they're planning on like how they're going to go into the building or whatever. Well, because so there's there is this other pit though when when the when the mercenaries decide that they're going to have like this big standoff or whatever. One of the guys, which I think is Weston Cage talks about how like you know now it's party time or something like that and he pulls this case up and puts it on the table we never see what's in it and yeah. nothing ever comes in. i thought he was going to put it like get like some type of grenade launcher or something that like we saw at the beginning of the movie that they used right. to blow up the cars nothing i don't know what was in that case they blew all their budget on uh <laughs> on those explosions in afghanistan and so now they ran out uh that's also why they had to reuse the explosion scene from the diner that must be uh, so at this point, uh, Nick Cage still hasn't found this kid. He's right. the kid is still in there, um, and so Nick's like, "I've got to go." The aggressive gum chewing guy. He's like talking to Nick, and he's like, "Nick's like, I've got to go get this kid. I've got to go get him." And the guy's like, "You can't go in there. We're sending SWAT in, or something like that." And Nick's like, "Fuck you! I'm going to do it anyway." <laughs> and so he goes and grabs this rifle off the like table that's just sitting there. Nobody's watching. Nobody's using. It's, it's already loaded. It's, it's great. And so he he looks into the scope and, and okay, so I don't I know that there's a lot of, you know, gun stuff I talk about on the show, but you, scopes work a very specific way. And this scope was like looking into a I like binoculars or something. <laughs> like it, it gave a perfect clear view of this kid in the car and Nick Cage has the crosshair of the gun on the kid's head. And it's just this beautiful, perfect sight picture, which never happens. And he's like, oh, I spotted the kid. He doesn't even look at any other cars. First car he looks at, boom, there's the kid. And uh, yeah, so he starts to head in to, uh, to to get this kid. And yeah, my note was, this is not how scopes work. Um, so at this point, the I think what was in that case was bombs, like more of the bombs like they used in the diner, because at this point they line up all the hostages and they zip tie their hands together. And one of them like, they make it seem like he's stealthily sneaking this bomb into this woman's pocket, like she wouldn't notice. Uh, But then they release the hostages and immediately the lady's like, I got something, he put something in my pocket. And the cop's like, what? And he goes up and looks into her pocket. He's like, huh? And he's like playing with this bomb for like eight seconds. And then instead of throwing it away, he just starts running in the opposite direction and he gets blown up real good too and dies meaninglessly because he couldn't just throw the the bomb in a different building or something. 
uh yeah so pocket bomb was my next note well because like so interpol lady keeps telling us how like these are like the most sophisticated advanced killers in the world right well all they've done so far is use two c4 bombs some zip ties and like some guns yeah it's nothing that crazy really like i don't know what they did that was so specially trained yeah, they're like, you point. can't go in through the back because they'll be expecting that. And basically anything you could have planned for, they're just going to use against you for a means of escape. Even though there's one scene in particular where all three guys, the only three that are left, all three guys are just chilling in the bank vault with the door open, eating food. Yeah, like if, having a pizza party. If the SWAT team had gone in at that very moment. Game like, over. Game, movie's over. Yeah. Like they, the guys just got lucky. <laughs> right. So then the SWAT team SWAT team starts moving in towards the bank and <sighs> immediately they throw some like smoke grenades or something, not the SWAT team, but the other guys. Well, the, SWAT, just... the SWAT team throws smoke oh, grenades. Okay. And then the mercenaries throw grenade grenades. Yeah. And then a couple <laughs> of the SWAT guys get blown up and they're like, retreat! And <laughs> run they away. All, yeah, they all just run away. And so I had most inept SWAT team ever for my next note. It was so bad, man. Oh my God. It's embarrassing. Yeah. So then, uh, you know, Nick Cage has at this point rescued the kid and he's like trying to get him out of there. And I think all the guys, for some reason, decide to start just their brilliant plan because these are the most tactical, you know, trained people ever is to just have some bags of money and run out into the middle of the place and steal a car and try and run away, I guess. Guns blazing. So everyone Guns knows blazing. exactly where they are. Yeah. So they all run out and they all get dropped immediately. And then there's like one of them runs over by where Nick Cage has the kid and he gets shot in the knee or like the side of the leg. Nick does. And yeah. Nick does. Yeah. And then the, uh, there's the other dead copies cop. with dies. Yeah. The other copies with dies. The one he made and, the racist joke about in the beginning of the movie. Right. But it's all yeah. good now because he sacrificed himself to save the old man. And they called themselves, they called each other brothers. So brothers. They're, they're yeah. Good. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So the, the, the final one of these, you know, mercenaries pops around the corner after shooting Nick Cage in the leg. And he's like, I'm going to kill you now. And then, and then you just hear off screen gunshots. <gasps> shocking twist the kid shot him kenny just kidding kenny shot the yeah guy. kenny shot the guy once and the guy goes down but then <laughs> we have the interpol lady because the guy looks like he's starting to get back up and the interpol lady's like bang bang and she, now the guy's really dead because the, the he was only kind of dead the first time but now he's fully dead it's a good thing she was there. No one else could have done that. Nobody else could have done that. I mean, Not any of you the have 30 to be cops that we've seen throughout the Interpol movie. trained to be able to do that. Um, so yeah, that's... So my next note was lots of leg shots in this movie because probably 10 people get shot in the leg throughout the movie. Everybody it's, gets shot in the freaking leg. It's like, very weird. I don't know what that's about. And like, I know, I know that the mercenary is wearing body armor. They apparently have armor piercing bullets. That's brought up earlier. But like, these guys are getting shot in limbs and the face, and they're still right. like moving. Like, it's uh, it's a lot. It's so bad. But that's basically like the end of the actual plot of the movie. So then we get what might be the most amazing scene of any movie we've ever watched on this podcast. And I know that sounds like a bold claim, <laughs> but hear me out. We get this weird shaky cam video of Nick Cage jogging a year later, a year later, we've had a time jump of a year and you're like, huh? 
who died who lives we don't know and so to show you that nick cage's leg is fully healed he's jogging and it's this weird like sam raimi shaky cam like evil dead shaky cam for some reason even though it's just a guy jogging in the morning well there was a little bit of that in the beginning of the movie there was with somebody else running i'm not really sure what the motivation was for that but maybe it was just literally someone just holding a camera i think it's important to preface this by saying that i messaged derek i watched the movie on sunday Mm -hmm. like midday and as soon as i got done watching this movie i said derek my friend (laughs) please do me a favor and just pay extra attention to the last scene of the movie because so i had to do something i haven't ever done on this podcast and rewind and watch a scene multiple times to try and figure out if what i just saw is actually what happened i did watch it twice okay so derek watched it twice so he did heed me there and he but he probably would have done that anyway but it was bizarre (laughs) so after he's jogging we see nick cage walk into a we don't see him walk into the house but you kind of like there's you see a a person walk into a house and you see him like an up close shot of nick cage's face like looking at a photo and then and and it's the photo from the beginning of the movie from the beginning of the movie nick his wife and his daughter yeah so then it you hear like surprise or something like that and it pans it doesn't pan over it cuts to another shot with uh his son-in-law the daughter and their newborn and this other uh, the other cop because there were four like core cops and the black cop died but the three white cops didn't and so the third white cop is back there too right and so those three are in that that scene so then you get another cut back to nick cage (laughs) like up close so you can't really tell where he is because this is all CG. So then uh, it cuts back and he's like smiling. And then it cuts to a shot that's meant to be in the same room as the th- four characters we just saw. But it's uh, the kid. Kenny. Kenny. By himself with a cell phone recording. And he's just he's just by himself. And then it, you never never see all these people together. Okay, then it cuts back to a close up of Nick Cage. Then it like as a long shot of this like entrance to the house and someone walking towards the camera that's supposed to be Nick Cage, but then you see like a quick shot of like his face really poorly superimposed onto whoever this is walking in, really really bad. So I like it was. I can't emphasize how terribly shot and how poorly CG'd everything was green screen. I, I, it was terrible. Derek, let's get your take on it. I said my, my bit there. There was a moment where I, because it's, 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 it's so surreal. The scene is completely surreal where I was like, is this supposed to be the afterlife? Like, did he really die? But like his wife isn't here. She's still dead in this reality. So I guess not. I guess he's alive. And it's just just a weirdly shot scene. So what I think happened is the movie ended a different way. Yes. And whatever limited testing they did for this movie, it tested very poorly. Yes. And so they very quickly 
put together a new happy ending where all of the characters who did not show themselves as dead on screen were magically all good. Yeah. But they couldn't get everybody back together at this point because Nick was probably working on another project. Yeah, because he people... does 20 movies a year. So yeah. he's already on another project. Yeah. All these other people are doing other things in other parts of the world, right? And so they just got everybody into like a studio locally and did a green screen thing or well whatever. except like it was three different three different groups yeah yes three if, totally different groups yeah maybe even and four depending on how nick maybe. cage was shot versus the the body Man, how how bad was that cg when the when he's walking towards the camera and like i had to actually pause it because there's one <laughs> scene where like his face isn't even lined up with the head on it's... the on the walking person but it's even more than and that. the lighting like... is worse like the lighting is so bad too it's shot poorly it's lit poorly but also like he's the way he acts in it is also like a completely different character yeah it's like he just didn't remember like it was so long after this movie was done he didn't remember what the character was or something i don't know but like because he's so over the top he's so animated and happy and jovial he's like oh let's make some home movies kenny right like that's like he says that like let's make like make home movies and he's like that's not who this character has been at all in this movie but i guess yeah. having his son-in-law not die and being best friends with this kid and now being and now retiring has just changed is he retired we don't know but it's assumed so because he only had like 12 days left or something after that whole thing see i don't know maybe he like this revitalized him i don't know but man that is the most bizarre and if you if you take out mandy for a minute okay yeah. that's the most bizarre ending of any of the movies we have watched by a long shot for many reasons yeah for so many reasons so many it was so weird yeah that's one that's gonna stick with me for a while for sure that that particular scene the rest of the movie is mostly forgettable but that one particular scene and how bad it is definitely stood out to me i I watched it and i was like wait what was that (laughs) i just had to roll it it was like i was watching a completely different movie it was so weird it was it was super strange yeah yeah so now at this point we have to give it some ratings yeah yeah so let's do it so we have our cage meter we rate all of our movies on a scale of zero to 20 zero low 20 high in overall quality and overall caginess yes um and so i'm I'm gonna go first this sure. time uh for overall quality this is a pretty bad movie yeah it was not good uh it, it's pretty rough kind of across the board um I still think it's better than say Zondali or mm-hmm. prisoners of the ghost land. Okay. So I'm going to give it a four. Seems reasonable. I was thinking five, so we're not far off. Okay. Okay. You're being a little bit nicer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> was it the one emotional scene that knocked it up a, a, an extra notch? I mean, it was, it was, yeah, that, but also I gave it an extra point for how good the ending was. <laughs> How good, how good that ending is. How memorable, I guess would be That's probably a better way. Memorable. Yeah. All right, so now we got caginess. Yeah. Ryan, where do you put this as far as caginess goes? There's really only the one scene. I know. And it, he's not even really cagey in that scene. It's just like, like in the traditional sense, you know, mm-hmm. um, he's just kind of doing his thing where he's like over... I'm not going to say overdoing it. He's going all out mm-hmm. in this one scene compared to where he is in the rest of the movie. I'm thinking like a three. That's what I was going to give it. Okay, yeah, that yeah. seems reasonable then. Yeah, three. 
three as well. So, okay, so we have a four and a half on quality and a three on caginess. So that puts it in the busy quadrant, <laughs> um, unfortunately, for, yeah. for these movies down kind of in the realm of your inconceivables and rage. Um, Zondali, Outcast is a little bit above that. Dog eat dog, that, that kind of range. So, right. So there we go. All right. So now we have to figure out what Nick Cage movie is going to join the wheel o cage and replace 211. And that is The Weatherman, which is actually one that I've wanted to see. So The Weatherman will join the, the wheel o cage to find out which movie we're going to talk about on our next episode. Go to comingofcage.com and stay tuned for our wheel o cage spin for that episode to figure that out. Um, Ryan, is there anything else that you would like to say about 211? Stay frosty. Stay stay frosty. That's right. And hey, if you like the show and you're still listening, thank you for support. I really like I appreciate you very much. And if you want to support us in a different way, you can also go to comingacage.com to find our merch store and you can get some big Nick Energy gear with one of four different inspirations of Nick Cage's. And I've got I've got Con Air Nick Cage on right now. Ryan's face got off. face off. Very nice. Very nice. So you, you know, if you're watching the show, you can watch us on YouTube. If you're watching us, you can see that. If not, you know, just head on over to comingofcage.com. But thank you all for your support. I'm Derek. That's Ryan. Yep. And we'll catch you next time. Stay frosty. You do need like a big Nick standee to go behind you though in that empty space. Right here. Yes, exactly. That'd yeah. be perfect. You just have like Con Air Nick in the tank top, <laughs> like sweating, just like glistening behind you. <laughs>